Hello and welcome to the second in our Is Anyone Listening podcast series, in which we hear directly from people on low incomes about the issues that affect them. I'm June Sarpong and I'm delighted to be your host for this episode, where we'll be discussing the new film, A Northern Soul, a story of Steve, a factory worker from Hull, nurturing a long-held ambition to take hip-hop to the city's estates. The film explores the everyday reality for many workers up and down the country, trapped by debt and low pay, unable to break free from the restrictions poverty places on them. We are lucky today to have Steve Arnott, who is the star of A Northern Soul, and also the film's director, the incredibly talented, or shall I say the legendary, uh, Sean McAllister. Hello, how are you, gentlemen? Hi, June. Great, thanks, you. Two of Hull's finest. (laughs) 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 Thanks. It's not every day you hear that, is it, Sean? (laughs) We are living the incredible bit. Of course. (laughs) I added that myself. That wasn't on the script. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear it. We're also joined by Natalie McDormand, who is a former broadcast journalist and founder of On Road Media, a charity that helps to create social change by improving the way the media and storytellers cover misrepresented and underrepresented groups and issues. Natalie, welcome. Thank you. Wonderful to have you here here. too. The incredible Natalie. Incredible. Thank you. Where's my (laughs) my superlative? So tell us a bit about what On Road Media does and what you're working on at the moment. So what we do is we bring groups of people with lived experience of a social issue that might be underrepresented or misrepresented in the Mm -hmm. mainstream media. And we bring those groups together with senior media professionals to talk. So the methodology is pretty straightforward. We're working under the assumption that the vast majority of people in the mainstream media often, it's no secret, pretty homogenous group, yep. don't have first-hand experience yeah. of a lot of the issues they're covering. And often but, don't know anybody for, uh, with first-hand experience uh, of the issues they're covering. Absolutely. And we know that a journalist that has a more kind of nuanced feeling about a subject is going to make better content. Mm. Content. So we're sort of providing opportunities for the groups that we work with to collaborate with journalists on better content. And one of the projects that we're working on is with Joseph Rantree Foundation, with a group of people who have experienced poverty. And we make sure that they get a lot of support to do the media work too, that they get paid and that they get supported and that it's not just about them bearing all and telling their story, but it's about them choosing which aspects of poverty they want to share and why. And is that part of your work that actually brings people from these underrepresented groups into the media? Because obviously we need more of that too. Yeah, it's, I mean, we work with our projects over several years. So a natural byproduct of, of the work is that certain people get into the media. So our longest running project is called All About Trans. We've been working with transgender people since 2011. And several of those people are now bona fide journalists. You know, they get paid and they're in mainstream media and they're on question time and they're not just talking about trans issues either. But the main, what we want to see is change like now. Increasing diversity in the media is so vital, but it it, it takes takes a long time. You can overnight change, change the minds, the, yeah, yeah. The, and the feeling around a documentary or a soap storyline by encouraging journalists to work in a more collaborative way with people and not just one person who's a case study, but with people who have a much more nuanced take of what that issue is. Brilliant. And that, that's what we really, that's what we do. Well, wonderful. Well, we look forward to chatting more about that. Steve? It is so lovely to have you here. It's so I mean, lovely to be here too. I was so blown away by your story and 
and just your humanity. And I think the wonderful thing, and I cannot stress this enough, don't just listen to this podcast. Make sure you actually watch the film as well because you will be so moved by Steve's story. And you can't help but fall in love with your journey and who you, <laughs> and who you become at the end of the film as well. So let's talk a bit about your experiences and your love of hip-hop. And what was it about that that made you want to use hip-hop as a vehicle for, for empowering young people from the, the disenfranchised communities that you grew up in? Yeah, um, it, was, it was the hip-hop culture for me that changed my life in the first place. So I was just walking to school one day as a young, a young about 10, 11-year-old, and uh, I saw a kid a bit older than me putting some cardboard down on the street. And then after that, he brought out a tape player and played some music and got on the floor and started like spinning on his hands and doing moves. And I was just like, what is this guy doing? So I, Break I went beating. Up, yeah, yeah. Break dancing. Break, Break dancing. dancing, yeah. God. <laughs> so I, I just Not as cool as I, I used to be. So, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just went up to him and said, like, what are you doing? And that day he introduced me to hip hop. He said, that was a windmill. This is a backspin. He taught me to body pop. And then, yeah, I just, I fell in love with the culture from there. So from a very young age. And then growing up, wanting to do music and not having anywhere to go and do it and not having the money to do it, that it was really hard for us. So the whole idea behind the beats was to give kids that, that chance that we didn't have growing up, you Got know, you. Give, them, give them a step up yeah. into and, doing it. So. And also, I think the thing that comes across in the film is how brilliant it is in terms of helping with the behavioural problems of some of the young people that you're working with. Yeah, yeah. But also in developing their self-esteem yeah. and giving them a voice. Yeah, yeah. And 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 often we we forget that little things like that completely change the trajectory of a child's life. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I think, like, especially when they're at the age of eight and nine and ten, you know, that's when the brain's shaping and growing the most. So if you can give them, like, inspiration and belief in the self at that age then I believe they can carry on to be brilliant you know as they get older so fantastic so Sean well can I just say how important it is to have a filmmaker like yourself to have somebody who's actually from the communities that often are overlooked and also to have the sort of storytelling ability that you have just as a brilliant filmmaker but the understanding as somebody that comes from that background and so number one I think apart from Steve being the star of your film <laughs> your parents are too right, 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 right. and in seeing your parents you kind of understand how you are the way you are why was it important to also share their story too well, they were getting old, and I was—I'd been away from Hull. It was a way of—it was a way when you're looking for a film, you're—I'm kind of filming the, the experience as well because I think that helps bring an audience to the context where you're at, where you know. Um, so I was sort of finding my way when I was filming in Hull, and I'd started filming them before I met Steve in a way. When I met Steve, it seemed that their relevance to Steve's story was that. They were enjoying the retirement. They were working class like Steve that had grown up in a time when they'd paid into a system that had paid back to them. To them, yeah. You know, and and and, and so and also Steve's situation got quite dark. And, you know, when you're making a film, you're you're aware of that. You're aware of trying to bring light and shade 
you know, not not just make it grim up north. And there was a lot of grim up north. The, the only stuff you ever saw to a point when it, when it, when there was anything on the television was from grim. the north was grim. Yeah. You know, so there was that balance, really, of, of frivolity and fun, which is also the joyousness of the kids, you know, that, that they bring, you know, they bring the hope. I think that's what's what what works in the film because when people people aren't <coughs> stupid when they watch a story when they watch someone's story they feel it because it speaks to them about the world that they live in mm. and Steve's story is very grounded and real and uh so I think what's refreshing about it is that people go into something that doesn't shy away from being real or, and and in parts <coughs> grim but is held to be quite um joyous through through, through how you how you actually deal with it and live with it, mm. which is isn't necessarily you know you don't sit and wallow in it, do you? You get on with it. You get on with it. You try and make the best of it. Yeah. And I think the thing that your film does as well is you know so often in the news we hear about austerity cuts and we hear about cuts here and there, and you don't really understand it unless you are living it. And I think what that film does is it just shows you the reality of these policies and actually how they impact people's lives. Was that something that you were thinking of at all? It was. I mean, and I think I was thinking about it in the shower recently, funnily enough. Oh, are you? Good yeah. to hear that. Good to know. <laughs> well, I was pondering how these things work out. You know, and I think the problem is often, because it's the way things are commissioned, people say, I want to go and make a film about austerity, and they go and make a film about, or they're going to make a film about poverty, and they go and make a film about poverty, and they go and make a film about the issue yes. over everything else and it's actually quite boring. Yeah. So I think what interested me was all of those things but formally primarily what interests me is character. Yeah. The people. So as long as you've got all of that stuff in your head you can suspend it. It's it's, it's there for and I didn't know what was going to happen to Steve but I was looking out for those those eventualities. So you know when it you know you don't know what's going to happen in a documentary, but no. you have to cast people in a certain situation and then you have to be, you have to sit it out, really. I want to talk a bit more about family because that's something that really is, you know, sort of at the centre of, of the action in the film. Um, and your relationship with your daughter, yeah. which is just so sweet. Thank You're you. just such a, a lovely dad, aren't you? <laughs> um, and in the film, it explores the, the part where you're talking to your mother and she's asking when we're, you're going to see your daughter again. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you kind of have to acknowledge the fact that perhaps you won't be able to see her as soon as you want to because of money reasons, yeah, monetary work reasons, and... work and so on. So, Steve, we're about to play a clip of you and your mum uh, talking about when you're next going to see your daughter. Yeah. I'm mm. off these when I get back up from stairs, up. When you were here again? Um, 17. It's a long time. I know, it's um, Monelli's, so it's Post Monelli's this Friday. Can take that for the cat? Yeah, so the following Friday I'll be on late, so I can't get that Friday, so it'll be the following Friday after that. Oh, I <laughs> Three weeks on Friday, it's not that long. Ah! Mm. Okay. Right, darling. See you later. And again, back to the issue of poverty, where you... You're unable to even parent the way you would like to because yeah. of the, the financial restrictions yeah, yeah. that you face. Can yeah. we talk a bit about that? 
Yeah. I mean, what you don't see in the film is I've passed my driving test now, so... Oh! Now... <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so now I can drive and pick her up, but it's still the issue of money. Having petrol to put in the car to yeah. go pick her up, you know, I can still only afford to do that once a fortnight. So it's... If I, if I had lots and lots of money, I'd use it for lots and lots of petrol and I'd go. I was I was actually in Helmsley at a parents' evening, mm. first parents' evening yesterday that oh, wonderful. I've managed to get to. So, But yeah, the travelling, yeah, just having, not having that spare money to be able to just go there. But also not being able to drive. I mean, that, I think that shocked me. It was suddenly realised, I just... It was just one of the things, that, which is like a, a, one of the many small things in the mm. day. She lives in Helmsley. I don't drive. Yep. Um, and the cost the of shift, getting there. I've got that shift finishing and that shift starting. So, And then the, 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 the favours that you're... How many friends that you have to keep switching between this favour and the petrol... Forget, you know, forget yeah. the petrol money, but the favours and, and juggling your precious time yeah. away from the production line. Yep. Yep. And the, all of that travel and, and it's just as well as doing what the film really didn't show was all of the pressure that that brings as well as organising the creative stuff for mm. his venture with City of Culture as well as maintaining the job and paying his debts and living at home and, yep. and eating and going to work on his bike. Yep. You know, all of that. <laughs> and then trying to support your mother as well throughout that yeah, process. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> sort of mentally, how do you still manage to stay in a positive frame of mind because the thing that came across in the film was just what a a positive outlook you had on life even in the times where you were feeling really down and you know really um in some parts hopeless you still somehow managed to push through what is that i think that's my mum and me you know my mum's always been a fighter since i can remember Mm. and if she's if she has a problem, she just tackles it head on and she just gets on with it. So I think that's my mum, like, little voice in my head yeah, saying, saying it's the city it. as well. It's yeah, the, the city. city and, it's home. You know, nah, yeah. Resilience was a big word we used in the opening show in the city yeah. of culture, and you embodied that resilience, the knockback in the Second World War, the fishing industry, all of that stuff. No one ever sat at home and said, "Oh, poor us." They just kind of got on with just it. Just yeah, got on yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of class as well. I don't think it's just Hull. I think it embodies the... That's what I wanted as a, as a filmmaker to celebrate was mm. the... Was the... Was grit. that... Well, the, the grit and defiance and the fun... The, yeah, it's just lacking all of the humour. So, Natalie, let's talk about how we encourage more... Um, uh, filmmakers and uh, commissioners um, and journalists in general to to show that part of the story of poverty, because actually the resilience is something that everybody can learn from, particularly in society where you have more and more people dealing with anxiety, where you have mental health issues across the board, whatever socioeconomic group we're looking at. But there is a level of resilience that comes from people that are living on the breadline, people that are constantly being tested. How are we able to show that more? Because I think that's something that society in general can can benefit from. I mean, I, th- I think probably a lot of storytellers do try and tell mm. that story because it's that whole grit and resilience of the working class mm. type story. The reason why this is really successful mm. is that it doesn't set out to 
tell that story of mm. grit and determination. Mm. It's a story. Mm. It's a story about Steve and what he does and it's about Hull. And, but because Sean has that understanding mm. from, from the outset, mm. all of these things emerge very naturally. Yeah. The, the story about the sort of systemic failures that result in someone working his... Yeah butt off yes and and managing <laughs> his his finances to a T we see this all the time in the group yeah. that we work with yeah. managing his finances like really carefully really caring about you know I think at some point Sean suggests to you to kind of would you not just jack it in and yeah. do the beat bus and you're like I can't, I can't afford to do that. I'm not yeah. going to do that. I, ha- I have bills to pay. Yeah. I have a, a kid. I can't be a starving artist. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yet he's struggling to, and we see that, you know, really upsetting scene where you have to file for bankruptcy. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, because yeah. Of, because mm. of the debt that you're in, that yeah. you're forced to go in. This is what we see all the time in our group. Um, it's in work poverty. Yes. These are people who are working, yeah. but the slightest setback yeah. will throw them yeah. uh, into yeah. death yeah. and they're sinking, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's and it's it, they're in a system where people on the outside would say, well, you're working 18 grand a year in Hull, you know, if I were if I were in that position, I'd make it work. Mm. Or I'd figure out a way to get to see my daughter. Mm. It's very easy for people to make those assumptions. Yeah, yeah. But what we see in this hour and a half or whatever it is, is these these themes emerging very effortlessly because it's a collaboration between someone who knows the issue yeah. and someone who knows the issue. The, issue yeah. the only way around making more authentic material about social issues, mm. there's no shortcut to this. Mm. It's either by people making them who have lived experience of the issues themselves. That's mm. why you see the most powerful documentaries and films are usually made by people who have such a nuanced take on it yeah. that they know how to tell the story and they know who to speak to and yeah. they, they're not going to go down a rabbit hole. And also there isn't a, a and also they don't come from a, a sort of a perspective of a them and us in that there is they understand the humanity of the people that they're filming. Also often, you need sorry. to think about your target audience yeah. I think for me and I think it's like what we managed to do with the press when it went on BBC2 mm. was get four and five stars <clears throat> from the Daily Mail mm. and the Sunday Times. Wow. So it was preaching to the unconverted, <laughs> yes. which was the intention and which yeah. was what we talked about quite a lot with Joseph Roundtree. So the other thing I think that's really um, powerful uh, in the film is just how the beat bus starts. And, yeah. you know, the, 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 you, when you're just, you know, doing the graffiti on the Arco van, la- a lorry, and putting it all together and getting the equipment... Tell us about that whole process, and 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 for anybody who hasn't seen the documentary yet, tell us what the beat bus actually is. Yeah, so um, I got the job at Arco as a voluntary project manager. So I went to a, a meeting, and they said, "Oh, we've got all these projects that we want you to do. Pick one and do it." And I was like, "Nah, if I'm gonna be doing this, then I want to do my idea. Yeah. You know, do some of that." So I, I told them about the beats bus, and the only thing they said at the time was, do you think you can actually do this and make it happen? I was like, yeah, of course, well, of course I can. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it if I couldn't. Mm. So that started it. And it didn't actually start until July, which was the freedom season for City of Culture. Mm-hmm. So from January to July, we was working on doing all the graffiti, getting it look nice, ordering the equipment, setting it up and like testing it all out. And that, that was real good fun, you know. It was brilliant. And yeah, the, fir- the first day we went to the 
the first primary school like we did. Mm. We didn't know what to expect, and you know, it was it was it was just such a brilliant day. It, I just left there thinking, wow, if this is what we can do, then this is going really going to be something special. So yeah, uh, what we do with the Beats Bus, it's a mobile recording studio, and we teach all the elements of hip hop. So we teach break dancing, DJing, graffiti, songwriting. But Nigel also does a learning and development and confidence building mm -hmm. like little course that runs yeah. alongside them. So we just yeah, just raising young people's but aspirations. But also the other thing which I was really impressed by is you deal with tough social issues. You you deal with slavery, yeah, you yeah. deal with, with racism, immigration, you tackle all of those things, but yeah. using the power of music as a way of connecting all of it. children around those yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there is a lot of issues like that in Hull and you know if they don't deal with their issues then they're just going to bottle up inside their head yeah. and you know it's going to particularly with the anti-immigrant sentiment that's going around the country at the moment exactly really yeah and if, if you don't teach people the right way to behave about all that stuff a lot of people end up like blurting out hate mm. you know and not understanding it and like not not getting it and not treating it how it should be treated so yeah, if you educate people, then you know it makes a better world, doesn't it? I love it. Let's. Who's the little the little boy um, who uh, had the speech impediment? Harvey. How is Harvey? He's great. And he was brilliant in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also what I loved about the way you dealt with Harvey was in the beginning where he's being quite disruptive. Yeah. The way you still managed to discipline him, but discipline him with love. Yeah. And I think it's so powerful for people who work with young kids who may have behavioural issues in terms of how to deal with that. Because yeah. to see his transformation yeah, yeah. also shows just why programmes like this matter. Yeah. Yeah. I He's think, good? Yeah, I think Harvey's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. love yeah, little like, Harvey. And Blessing. Oh, Blessing. How's Blessing? He's <laughs> <laughs> doing great, <laughs> Blessing. <laughs> we showed the film in Beverly, I think it was, and we had Blessing doing a Q&A with us. Mm. And the audience said to him, so Blessing, like, since the film, what has it done for your confidence? How are you these days? And he stood there and he kind of went, actually, I think I'm getting an ego. He's only nine. Blessing is the little star, oh, one of the little stars yeah, that you'll see uh, in the film. So uh, we have a clip uh, where you and Sean are outside um, Arco and you're talking about some of your frustrations and perhaps how your life hasn't turned out how you thought it would. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's have a listen. I just, I'm just things getting on top of me a bit, I think. Work. Work with money. Just been thinking I'm fucking 42. 15, few years and I've got fuck all. I've got nouch on. What did you expect to have? Just, I don't know. A house, maybe some savings. I've grafted hard all my life. All my life. Non-stop. So, Sean, we've just heard Steve talking about how, at 42, his life hasn't turned out the way he planned. And as you said earlier, this is somebody that did everything right. And your own father did the same things at a time where that was rewarded. And now you're almost penalised for doing what the system says you should be doing. When you hear stories like Steve's, how does it make you feel in terms of 
where we are with the poor in this country and what the future holds if we don't change the direction we're going in? I think that scene resonates in the film because we've lived with Steve through the through all of his generosity when you've seen all of his giving and but it reminded me of a scene and in a way it re reminded me of something that inspired me was in a, was 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 in a couple of encounters with with workers in pubs mm. in Hull mm. who were who were kind of in in similar situations on zero hours contracts yeah. um unable to guarantee the working week but that meet and, 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 and unable to meet their outgoings i think one of one guy I met had, had been divorced and had to move back with his mum and and he he i think what i felt was he'd lost his dignity yes and no one and and you know and i think the system was saying oh shut up you've got a job stop moaning but he was just He'd lost his marriage. He was back home with his mum, and he was unable to even meet his his needs Basic working needs, for yeah. a week. And he just felt like he just didn't feel worth anything. Yeah. And I thought that 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 we'd we'd got to that point of that book Robert Tressel at the turn mm. of the century, the ragged trousered philanthropists. I don't know how far we've really come. Mm. We had a trade union movement that had defended the workers' rights and. We we destroyed that and we've gone to another degree now. And I think, I really think, unless the system gives to people, then then the people won't join in. There is jobs and there's more jobs than ever, but people won't won't go for them. But they're not secure jobs. They're not secure jobs. And, 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 and like you say, it's not about the, we're not getting the dignity of work, and also our productivity levels have stagnated for 10 years. So it's not working. What's happening now is not working for us as a country. It wasn't. And we were bringing in European workers to work at Pressemanger for these on ridiculous, on ridiculous shifts, on ridiculous money. But now we've just voted them out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know. I don't know, it's interesting go times figure. ahead. I think it's really good because we've really done something that's going to really shake us up and go, okay, we don't want them but we don't want to do that. <laughs> Who's going to, you know, it's going to be as interesting times ahead. Yeah. And this is where stories matter. Because actually, when you're able to see the reality of these policies, when you're able to see the reality, if you are a business owner, of actually having a system where you're not sharing with your workers, you're only focused on your shareholders, you see that if we don't start circulating our growth and our wealth a little bit more fairly actually we're all screwed in the end yeah for society uh, we need to and we've seen it play out many times historically you know this is nothing new mm -hmm. we need to be braver at yes. talking about poverty that doesn't look like destitution yeah we need to be able to listen to someone's story about working and about how something went wrong and about how that made them lose grip mm. of their basic uh, ability to put food on the table and sink into debt. I mean, mm. that's what's happening. Mm. But that picture doesn't match with the vision that we as a society have of what poverty looks like. Yes. Poverty, we're okay Third to think of someone countries. who's homeless yep. or, you know, on the street, the destitution, that's what yeah. poverty looks yeah. like. 
someone who loses their relationship as a result of domestic violence and ends up, you know, having been a homeowner, mm-hmm. which is, you know, someone in our network, exactly this has happened to them. Back has home. lost their home, ended up in a shelter mm. and, and has ended up with a disability that means that, and in her words, she was on Jeremy Vine this week, she's holding on with brittle nails. Oh. If something goes wrong, like the boiler breaks, that's it. Now, right now, there oh. is a real uh, culture of condemning her yeah. for being someone who has a roof over head, her yeah. head, who is getting some form of benefits mm. and who is essentially responsible for her own financial management and if she falls through the net well it's her fault it's her fault we collectively as storytellers in the media need to be braver mm. at telling those stories and l- listening to what poverty in reality is like and it doesn't necessarily match what we have in our heads. heads and the more we tell those stories the more that kind of um, rebuttal from politicians who were, for example, very dismayed with uh, the UN envoy's take Mm. on poverty. Yes. There were certain politicians that said, hang on a second. Yes. You know, we we are not the ones you should be focusing on. The more stories that we tell about the reality of what poverty looks like in the UK, and this is this these are you know single parents choosing to buy nappies over food or food mm. over nappies. Mm-hmm. You know this is, this is very real. That anxiety, that toxic anxiety mm. that people live with mm. in this country is very real. Mm. They may not be sleeping on the street, but this is what poverty looks like. Yep. The more stories we have, the more support we give to people to tell those stories, yep. and the more help we give them to ensure their safety in telling those stories mm-hmm. and, you know, peer support so that they don't have to cope with the backlash of kind of, you know, critique online, the the more difficult it is to deny that this is happening. Yep. And I think it's something that we can achieve. Yep. And I think that anyone who wants to tell the story about poverty in the UK needs to do it collaboratively with a variety of people who know what that poverty looks and feels like. Mm, I love that. And how do we scale what you're doing? By that, I mean, how do we bring people together who, those with agency in our society and those without? Because I think if, you know, just looking at a London example, if we look at Grenfell, if the people in that tower had had more interaction with those at the bottom in the multi-million pound houses, you just know I don't believe that that fire would have happened because those with agency would have known how to petition the council to make sure that the cladding didn't go up. Because if you look at the surrounding towers... Who, well, they'd never been in them, either. It's a tale of yes, two cities. Yes, it really it's is. It's astonishing. So how do we do that? Because as somebody who do, does that... I don't think we do. I mean, I think it's these invisible ghettos. You know, the, the ghettos of, of when with, with immigration are visible by this colour of your skin. But mm. the, when it comes to money... Yes. There's this invisibility and there really is... We are living in a tale of two two cities completely. They don't mix. They don't. They don't. And they do care now for Grenfell, but they don't. Mm. They don't. It could happen again. I don't think there's... I don't think... there is. I don't know how you. I don't know how you. But I think what you're saying is is what we need to do in order to solve the bigger picture. Really. Yeah. There needs to be a genuine. There needs a to ge- be a, ge- a genuine. Yes. Um, um, collaboration. There or does. Kind of the, the the way narrative change mm. works. Let's take an issue like equal marriage. Yeah. 
So there were, you know, LGB campaigners in the 80s talking about, you know, the importance of family. Mm. And uh, this is just people who love each other. It's love and family. And at the time, mm. people didn't want to know, mm. okay? Because our, as a society, our Our idea of family. Exactly. Yeah. Our understanding did not involve yeah. that. So they were telling those stories. Mm. They're not, it's not a new story. No. But fast forward to, to the 2000s, many, many, many people are telling that story of mm. love and marriage. From older people, grandparents are going, well, I just want my grandson to be happy and to find love. Mm. Everyone's saying it. People in schools, teachers, we all yeah. get it. It's, fam- fam- it's about family and love. Mm. That's because many of those stories were told in many different ways yeah. over a period of, of time. time. Yeah. And that's what leads to narrative change. It's mm. like an overarching umbrella of, okay, this is what we know to be true. Currently, in our society, we don't know this to be true, that poverty exists in our, in our country. But how do we also get to behavioural change? Because that's the piece we need in this. Well, I feel like behavioural change comes as a result of narrative change. Mm. I mean, to sort of get to, there's lots of, mm. you know, there's, there's good policy, which mm. also can, can change yeah. things. From our perspective, what we're trying to do is trying to help a critical mass of media professionals right. kind of understand this issue on a, on a more sort of visceral, a visceral level. level. Yeah. So that, and, and this, this stuff takes time, but if we're working in a more sort of relationship-based approach to communication, so this isn't sending just press releases with statistics on how terrible poverty is, you know, that doesn't work. Building relationships with local journalists and local decision makers and groups that are experiencing this, which is starting to happen, mm. you know, with the work that JRF and the mm. Apple Collective and the Poverty Truth Commissions are doing. Um, and I think we need to be doing more, more. of that. Yeah. yeah. Steve, what do you want people to know about those who've had lives like yours and those that live like you on a daily basis? What do you want people who have such a warped view of what poverty, in-work poverty, looks like in our country? To be honest, I didn't, I didn't see myself as being in poverty. Okay. I just thought I was going through a struggle. And, yeah. you know, that I, I always think there's a lot more people worse off than you. Yes. And, yes. You know, so... I never really saw myself as being in poverty and, you know, I, I managed, you know, I, I managed to just get through. and To get through. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what a lot of working class people do. Mm. You well, know, I don't think people do think about that, really, do they? They watch they Coronation go. Street and may imagine they have a a stretched idea of what of how the representation is. They, mm. they suspend belief yes. to see yeah. there's, there's stereotypes of that's who we are. Yeah. But you could never really reflect the true kind no. of talk in the canteen on telly anyway. No. It's not broadcastable. <laughs> yeah. It's too interesting. Yeah, it's too <laughs> you know? interesting. Funny that. The other thing that also struck me in the film was how much talent we lose, you know, how much untapped potential there is. So if you look at the kids that you were working with, you know, kids that perhaps weren't doing so well at school because our system didn't know how to relate to them, how to connect with them, how to bring out the best in them. And actually, as a society, what we're losing out on as a result of that inaction because what you did so well was you you lit a flame in them you yeah, know yeah. we were able to see all that those kids had to offer yeah that's the thing that both sort of warmed my heart but also broke my heart at the same time because yeah. you just think god we're losing so much yeah 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 and it 
like blessing and Harvey, yeah, especially Harvey. Yeah. If if we if we hadn't found him, I, oh. I believe he'd maybe be expelled for sure by now. Yeah, and then it'd be a statistic. Once you're expelled, you, you can't get on the job crew. ladder. Yeah, exactly. We so, know what that's a pipeline. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's so important to give young people like belief and aspirations and just different choices and you know different paths in life. And to be honest, I think the sooner we stop putting people in boxes like class and race and just treat people as human beings, the world will be a, a lot nicer place. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, how about Amen. that? Amen. Uh, Sean, what other stories do you want to tell? I, you know, I mean, I think what you were saying, it's, it's, it's small narratives within that world, really, because it, it feels like a competition to get the... It's a competition to get your story out there, really. If 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 it isn't Steve's story that's out there, whose is it? Mm. And why should it be not Steve's or someone from like the same you. streets, really? So I don't think anything massive. It's just stories that make us reflect in this way. It's not a massive story in Northern Seoul. It's, it's a small story, but it's a powerful story, the mm. way it's told and and, 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 what, and, and and because I think it pushes... It's, it's not... It's not a great massive moment on the screen. What it does is push you as the viewer to constantly then reflect and, and fill in the gaps and, yeah. and, and answer those things and think, wow, why aren't we doing this? Mm. Or what, 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 what will happen to Steve or the kids? And, you know, um, so I think, uh, you know, there's loads of things that still need that that still need telling really I'm, I'm looking to do another film around the north of England because I think with Brexit and the way the, 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 the country's going that multiculturalism isn't is a word the but it wouldn't attack. be about yeah. multiculturalism I just think you know zero hours contracts it wouldn't be about zero yeah. hours contracts it's just fabrics of the world yes. that we live in that are in, that are important because yeah. we've got Brexit I wouldn't make a film about Brexit but because of Brexit it feels to me multiculturalism and people living on zero hours contracts in Britain right now in the north of England is an important subject I also think homelessness is critically important mm. because when 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 the Conservatives came in power in the 80s, we would only see, we would know they were in power because the, there was homeless people on the Strand. Yeah. But never in the North. Yeah. Now you come to London, there's, I, I see less people on the street in London and I go back to Hull, and you can, especially in Manchester, we did a thing in Manchester, you can't get through the station. To, to, it's just completely littered. The streets of Britain now have uh, uh, are more and more homeless people and no one is actually saying anything about it or doing anything about it. It's a kind of massive crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is Brexit has sucked everything up. That's the problem. So the t- there isn't a focus on the actual on, issues that caused Brexit in the first about place. Brexit. Yeah. Uh, when, 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 when all of that precious time should be dedicated to solving other problems you know it's a in Hull as well like homelessness I only see people who don't have nothing working to try and help them I don't see yes the, you know the yeah. people with money or the council or anything yeah. doing much to try and help them it's people yeah. who ain't got nothing going out there and giving them free food and, yeah. and there's community centres across Hull I think someone was saying to me about the official food banks they're official food banks. Because of the research I've done in making films in Hull, you know of all these different community centres that put on the food mm. parcel service where, yeah. you, where you go with a couple of quid and you get 15 quid's worth of out-of-date food to help supplement. I mean, I, you know, I know numerous community centres just in one quarter of Hull 
multiply that with the official food banks, just whole, but then multiply that across the country, mm. the amount of food banks, and that is a sort of untold narrative that's not on the news at 10 every night. Mm. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, and a lot of people feel shameful about that. They don't want to kind of go, I'm one of them. No. And they kind of bow their head, yeah. come in, grab the bags yeah. and disappear. This, yeah. this is where I, th I think that we, we, we can support people yeah. who are experiencing this to understand this is a systemic yes. failure. And take the stigma out of massive it. Massive proportions. Yeah. And it's really difficult for, you know, some groups that we work with on different projects like... For example, the All About Trans project where you know, there's a huge amount of pride and I'm trans and mm. I want to tell this story, mm. you know, and combat the misinformation. And then <laughs> I'm poor and I want to tell my story. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have really. the same ring to it, no. does it? No. Be because, because of the stories we have been told about, about what, poverty. what poor people, you yeah. know, they're feckless, it's mm -hmm. choice. And you, you hear from people who are running food banks that they they you, you can't tell the difference between people coming in and to access the service there. and people working there and people donating. 100%. These are just, these yep. are people in our community. And it's yeah. just nurse just finishing a shift coming in for Absolutely. a food parcel. Yeah. yeah. What are, have we come to? What have we come to? <laughs> what have we done? Right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, the problem is, because, as you've both just said, because we don't see these stories adequately represented in our media, or when they are, they're, they're, people are demonized in, 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 in such a shameful way. For those that aren't in those situations, there's such a disconnect. There's such a disconnect. There's, 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 there's an absolute lack of comprehension about where we are as a society and what people are actually dealing with day in, and day out, which is why, you know, for those of us in our sort of media bubbles, which is why people were so shocked when Brexit happened. Obviously, we don't want to turn this program into a discussion about Brexit. But that is why people were surprised. Like, why would you vote against yourself? Well, if you feel like you've got nothing to lose, of course, you're going to vote in a way that somehow sort of completely disrupts the system because you know the system needs disrupting. It cannot carry on the way it is. But my point is, there was a real lack of understanding, and I, you know, include myself in, in this um, scenario, a real lack of understanding of where people were mm -hmm. and why people would make a choice that completely would hopefully disrupt and change things mm. because... And that understanding hasn't yeah. moved on, no. I, I would say, yeah. um, which is a real problem. Which is why your work is so important. We still yeah. have the, the, the same problems. There's an interesting thing around the psychology of, um, you know, of us as, you know, readers and listeners and viewers um, in that we, we often read about, you know, a sad story or, a, you know, a negative story mm. with a certain amount of a kind of prurient interest to kind yeah. of go... Oh, what's what's that about? And we protect ourselves. We do. So we look at it and we go, like we might listen to a story like Steve's and we go, well, oh, well, I wouldn't have done that or I would have made sure yeah. this. I would, you know, I yeah. would, 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 yeah. would. Yeah, yeah. And it's a way of us going, that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. distances uh, us from it and protecting ourselves. Mm. And we do it around stories around sexual abuse, for example. Mm -hmm. It's a big one mm. where we, we listen to a story or see a story of someone who experienced that. Well, I wouldn't have walked there or I wouldn't have worn that. It's a mm. way of protecting ourselves. Mm. Now, if a story is told in the way that Sean has yes, told Northern Yes, you don't Seoul. allow us to do that with your film you can't. at all. You, you can't. You, you can't do it because yeah. you, you, you see everything yeah. that Steve is, which yeah. is this, I mean, like, 
incredible youth youth worker, which is like youth work. I know that's not just how you identify guy. yourself. You know, a solid, <laughs> good ve- bloke. Very, very, ta- very talented, you know, as an artist and with young people. It's like probably the most difficult job. I've yeah. Not, not a kid's entertainer, a youth worker. You know, yeah. something you can get, you can build confidence of children. So, you, so you, you see that and then you see how it's happened and you relate to it mm. in a way that the way most stories around poverty are told it's difficult to relate to. You see the statistic. The statistic looks huge. You kind of think, oh, that can't be right. Yeah. Or I that wouldn't happen to me because yeah. I would just Or that call, can't happen here. Yeah, that's the other here. Yeah. I would call my my dad or I would, you know, they, the support networks that they have that they can't even fathom that may possibly, that might not exist yeah, yeah. Um, for other people. And I think it's, it's that. It's telling mm. those stories in more depth yep. where you can't back out of it where it's not unintentionally othering the person. Yes. So you just go, well, that has nothing to do with me. No, this does have something to do with us because we look at your story and we think that could happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's yeah. what we have to do more of. Yeah, we really do. And that's what's so powerful about your film. Because you watch it and, like you said, you think, my goodness, if I was in that situation, that is who I would be. This is where I would be. Mm. And, and, yeah, I can't even sort of stress enough how how important that is. Because you cannot help but be touched I, when you watch that I film. think Middle England was in my mind quite a lot when I was thinking of the back streets of Hull. So that yes. Middle England didn't didn't feel it was so far away from them. But it was, it, it was still, it, Steve was, was, was welcome in their living room. He wasn't this kind of, I remember those images we filmed. Do you remember the the needles? Yeah, yeah. And we, the needles were uh, stark. Im- well, heroin needles in his oh, back street. Oh, burnt spoons and yeah. and burnt spoons. Of, of blood it's a very, and... very powerfully emotive images mm. and songs that Steve had written about heroin in his streets and mm. and 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 the, for me, the editing is a very uh, delicate. It's, it's a sculpturing, really, when mm. you're really ca- p- playing carefully with something and you build something and you do something. And it's like that thing that just, you know, that game where everything just falls apart. You just, Django, is it yeah, Django? Yeah. Just yeah. one yeah. little thing <laughs> yeah. and the whole thing's just totally, completely yeah. gone. But I think the sort of tone you took was perfect. And it actually, it was much more powerful not to include those images because it goes back to everything that we discussed at the beginning. Including those images means that you've given up. But actually what Steve's story is about is the fact that you never give up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is what we're supposed to be as a nation. And actually that is what we need to see because what you want people to do is to go away leaving you know, whatever device that they've watched you now, we watch it on multiple devices, whatever device that they've viewed that film on, you want them to go away saying, oh my God, we have to intervene before the Steves of this world give up. Because if the Steves of this world give up, our country's done. And so that is why it's so powerful what you did. We don't need to see the needles because this is about something else. Mm. So Mm. thank you. Thank you that you didn't include it. <laughs> it was a close call. It was a close call. Right up until the final call. <laughs> so before we wrap up, is there anything that each of you would like to add? What do you want to end with, Steve? Um, just when you do watch the film, 
take the message away that community work with young people is so important. Yeah. Groundwork with young people has to be done. Yes. In the community, not in schools. Yeah. I at agree. a different level. I agree. And yeah. and is there any extra way people can support the Beats Bus? Yeah, we've got a GoFundMe page. So it's GoFundMe forward slash whole Beats Bus. And that's done really well since the uh, the film went on TV, which is enabling us to roll out free workshops next year for the young people in Hull. So. What's the next chapter, do you reckon, for you? Um, Without the camera. I mean, just like yeah. naked, doing it all on your own. <laughs> on not your not own! The, the... <laughs> <laughs> I've got a five-year plan. What is it? Whoa. Tell us, quick. <laughs> Give us the plan. Well, to cut it short, it ends with five different buses in five different cities and also a hip-hop university in Hull. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm there. Bring it on. All right. Wow. The Beats University. Wow. Bring it on. It'll be a lecturer, June. Well, you heard my rapping at the beginning before we came on air. Probably not. <laughs> so we could do, do a workshop. something else. Yeah, give me a workshop. <laughs> what would you like to add with Natalie? Before we not going to be rapping anytime soon. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> No, I'd like to add, um, if you're interested in what we're doing, if you, you might be a journalist listening who's interested in collaborating. Getting involved, yeah. You know. So um, we have a network of people that we're working with, with the Joseph Rantree Foundation. So if you're a journalist and you're interested in working in a collaborative way with uh, people who've experienced poverty in all sorts of different ways... Um, I would urge you to get in touch with us and the project manager of this piece of work is a, a brilliant woman called Alana and her email address is alana at onroadmedia.org.uk. Okay. Right. So get in touch. Brilliant. Sean? Um, well, I'm just looking forward to the community tour. We're, we're going to be um, taking the film around community centres. Um, for All the next, over the country? Yeah, Wonderful. really the places yeah. that don't really get a look in and some of them that have contacted us, some of them that we're going to just fish out. We're just looking geographically at the different places that are most hard hit, you know, the most unloved, yeah. off-the-radar places. Um, Forgotten Sleepy Town Tour continues. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going to be releasing my other films online, I think, for free. Oh, wonderful. Um, next year, and I'm going to kind of do a tour with a retrospective as well, which we started in London. Brilliant. It went well, so there was some interest. So. I look yeah. forward to that. Fantastic. Well, thank you all so much. Um, and what can I say? You're all playing such an important role in helping to make our country a little bit of a fairer place, which is what we need. So thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Jane. So you've heard us talk about the film for the best part of an hour. Uh, I would suggest that you actually watch the film if you haven't already. So it's a Northern Soul available to watch on BBC iPlayer. So check it out. And thanks for listening. So Steve, we've been talking about the Beats bus. Yeah. And I think it's only right that you give us a little taste of some of your beats. So All right, cool. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> Hip-hop's not dead, man. Well, I'm still living. I'm giving it to you. It's a gift I've been given. I'm done sinning. Let's take it back to the beginning. All school vibe and kicks is what Red is bringing. Severe's beat spinning. You know hip-hop is a feeling, a way of living. You best believe what you're seeing. You want to know what makes music to Harry D? One word starts and ends with the capital E. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You 
two, don't just sit there. What else are we getting from you two, eh? Yeah, Whoa! Whoa! That's my Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant.